Welcome to Punk Rock Personal Development, a podcast about getting your shit together and creating a life you love. I'm your host, Sarah Stars, and every week I speak to inspiring badasses about the nitty gritty of how they live with passion and purpose. My guests and I might embrace a bit of woo woo every now and again, but we also get really honest about what it takes to grapple with your demons, transform your life, truly accept yourself, and strike out in the direction of your dreams. Because personal development only works if you do. That's what's so punk rock about it. Hello, and welcome to Punk Rock Personal Development, episode 17. You can access all of the show notes for this episode at Sarah Stars, that's S-T-A-R-R-S, sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 17. Today's obsession is from Tiffany from theardentwell.com. She says, I'm really into A Course in Miracles right now. I put off reading it for a long time since it always felt too religious to me. But one chapter in, it's like I'm having a ha moment after a ha moment. So every night I'm devouring that, an ebook I found with channeled conversations from Ascended Masters from the 40s of all things, and doing angel meditations. It's been a weird few months, but I feel like my lights are on and that's pretty sweet. To let me know what you're obsessed with, send an email to hello at sarahstars.com and I might feature it on a future episode. Today's interview is with Carolyn Elliott. Carolyn is a life coach, a writing teacher, and a legit witch. In this episode, we talk about her recovery from addiction, how she got seriously interested in magic, and you can too, why her deepest desires go way beyond a four-hour work week, the problem with most personal development content, and so much more. Carolyn is not afraid to go really deep, and I found our conversation to be absolutely life-changing. It might be my favorite interview yet. I can't wait to share it with you. So let's dive right in. Hey, Carolyn, how are you today? Hey, Sarah, I am wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I've been really looking forward to it. Yay, me too. I've been listening to your older podcasts. I was just listening to um, your interview with Kathleen Shannon and gave me a lot of pleasure and insight. Oh, thank you. Well, so for anyone who is just being introduced to you for the first time, can you share a little bit about your story and sum up what it is you do? Sure. So I like to sum myself up by saying I'm a bad bitch with a bodhisattva vow. And what I mean by that is I'm very committed to the liberation of myself and of everybody else uh, from suffering. And at the same time, I'm not really into like the coddling version of compassion. I can get a bit tough. So my work is dedicated to helping people become absolutely shameless. And by that, I mean helping them to integrate every part of their being, every part of their shadow, so that basically they are completely free and completely unstoppable. And by people, I mean everyone, but I do have a special interest um, as a woman in helping other women. So I would love to hear about a typical day in your life, if you have one. What are the routines and rituals that anchor your day? Sure. So, wow. I usually wake up in the morning and go to a cafe here in Bali. There's a lot of beautiful ones. I'm super spoiled. And I will drink my coffee and play around online. So I just I just look up things that I'm interested in. I just, you know, gossip with my friends on instant message and have fun while having my coffee and having breakfast. Then I usually get down to business. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped parts. I give offerings every morning. So I have an altar and I give offerings of water, candles, incense, food to my spirit allies, basically my own inner genius and the local spirits and the deities that I work with, which are Jupiter and Kruikale. So that's an important part of my morning. Can't skip that over. Um, So, but yeah, after that, 
at a cafe, I play around, then I start to work. And the main work that I do is writing. And of course, I answer my students' questions in the course groups that we have. I feel like I'm trailing off from the main question because you were asking about like personal developments type stuff, right? Like I rituals. Mean, it's, it's great to hear about a day in your life though, so feel free to trail <laughs> off in whatever direction feels good. Okay. Well, I can tell you that some of the things that I do that support my personal development involve taking a lot of supplements. I take a lot of green juice, a lot of um, ginseng, maca, um, and I do a lot of intensive meditation and ritual, like literal magic ritual. And so I have a question that is just something I've always wondered, and it kind of ties into something that you just said. So for anyone else who might be wondering, when you leave an offering on your altar, what happens to it after the day you've left it? That's a great question. So I used to wonder about this too, and there's people who have different ways of dealing with it, but I sort of take my cue from the Balinese. They give offerings four times a day, and mostly... They just leave the offerings out and whatever animals are around, eat them. And that's kind of the spirit of... So the offering is offered both to the spirits and to the local animals. And what if your altar is inside? Do people kind of dispose of that in different ways? Yes, probably by taking it outside. I mean, there's also the option of after you've left it out for a while, just eating it yourself. I mean, a lot of cultures do that too. I think the Balinese do that also with their major temple offerings when they're giving just tons and tons of food. They're bringing it to the temple for the gods, but then they're also having a feast with that same food afterwards. So the offering is um, a lot in the gesture of the giving. Thank you. That's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've just used the word magic and it comes up a lot in your work and you talk about working with magical people. So the big question for me is what is magic and what does it mean to be magical? Oh, such wonderful questions. So to me, magic is the ability to live in a flow of synchronicity. So all of us have synchronicity in our lives. And synchronicity, you know, Jung defined it as an a-causal connecting principle. So it's when there's a series of things that emerge which have a shared meaning, a shared identity, and yet there's no cause and effect relationship between them. So the classic example of this was Carl Jung was working with a patient, and she was telling him about a transformative dream that she had where she saw this amazing golden scarab beetle and just as she was describing the stream to him a beetle flew in the window and I think it alighted on her arm so and this was like the northern Europe equivalent of what an Egyptian scarab beetle would look like it was a jeweled beetle so the appearance of that beetle had a resonance or an identity of meaning with the woman's dream and with her telling about the dream. So there's this like this three levels of repetition and of resonance there. But obviously there's no direct cause and effect relationship that you could claim between, oh well she's talking about her beetle dream, so the beetle appears, right? It's mysterious. Um and the mystery points to the what the physicist David Bohm called the implicate order, which is the underlying intelligence beneath this created physical world that we see. So uh, all of us have had these experiences where we something deeply meaningful happens to us that connects with something else in our internal world. So a synchronicity shows us that there's not really a duality between our internal and our external experience. Because often, especially we Westerners, uh, we experience ourselves as subjects and the world as objects. And what synchronicity shows us is actually things are non-dual, that there really is no inside and no outside, that our psyche is our external world and vice versa. So cultivating, so everybody has this, everybody is magical. 
cultivating magic and doing magic um, purposefully is just a matter of becoming conscious and deliberate about creating experiences of synchronicity and noticing them. Mm. And so where did your interest in magic begin? Mm. So I was basically born into it. Um, My parents, uh, so my mother is a very negligent Catholic. I think the (laughs) teachings of Wayne Dyer mean a lot more to her than the teachings of St. Paul. Um, And she would wake me up on Sunday mornings and be like, okay, Carolyn, you got to go to CCD, you got to go to church. And I would be like, well, aren't you going to go to church, mom? And she'd be like, no, I went to Catholic school for 25 years. I don't have to go to church ever again. (laughs) And I'd be like, wow, mom, I'm so inspired by your faith. (laughs) Um, And then my father in the afternoons on Sunday. So my father belonged to every crazy cult in the 60s that you can imagine. And I could go on and on with stories about him. He's sort of like the Forrest Gump of 60s cults. And my father's penchant for esoteric cults did not end when he had his mother, when he had me and married my mother. Um, So he basically took me to all of his weird groups. This included the Rosicrucian Temple, um, which was a storefront in a suburban neighborhood where I dressed, I was the Vestal Virgin, so I was 11 years old. I dressed in white robes and I swung an incense censer around the temple and I was channeling Thoth. So I would have to invoke the Egyptian god Thoth before each temple meeting and I would swing the censer and I would meditate and I was holding the presence of Thoth for the group. So, um, you know, that was created a bit of dissonance in my mind between what I heard in CCD and Catholic Church. Um, And forgive me, I have a bit of a cold. But so my father also took me to Wiccan groups, Druid groups, Buddhist groups, Hindu groups, absolutely everything. We would go to everything until they would get annoyed with my father and they would kick us out because my father's very annoying. (laughs) I mean, he will argue with you in committee meetings about the dumbest stuff. Anyways, I love you, Dad. But... (laughs) But um, so anyways, I just grew up steeped in it, like from the time that I was three years old, from the time I was, you know, less than that, like in the cradle, my father was telling me strange, magical stories about, I mean, I read about all of the Greek gods, and he also read to me the Gnostic Gospels. Anyways, I just grew up in it. That's so fascinating, and I'm sure there's so much we could dig into there. But I'm curious, how did this magical journey evolve for you over time? Ooh, okay. Well, so that's a great question, too. So basically, when I was in college, I was trying to distance myself from the whole magical thing. I was like, that's just dorky stuff that my dad does. I am going to be a normal, contributing member of society. And... (laughs) I tried really hard to get into mainstream Christianity because I've always liked Jesus. I am a major Jesus fan. Um, I consider him to be like the greatest, one of the greatest witches of all time. And I mean, that's not exactly how I thought about him at that point, but I was, so anyways, I was going to like normal churches, like Protestant churches. I didn't want to go to Catholic churches. I was sort of fool on that. And I, did that for a while. And I was just, number one, I was bored. And number two, I was obviously way weirder and thought way weirder thoughts than the people around me. And it's just sort of gradually sunk in like, okay, I'm not going to be able to get away with this. I'm not getting actual spiritual nourishment here. And I'm just going to have to admit that, you know, I'm weird and seek out weirder people. So I did that. And I, I mean, a big part of my journey also is Uh, being involved in 12-step recovery. So when I was a teenager, I got addicted to heroin, and that was obviously a very bad scene. So I got clean when I was 19 and started going to 12-step meetings, which was the best spiritual, magical thing that could have ever happened to me because those people understand magic and miracles at a level that most of society simply does not. Even most, you know, magicians do not. 
And so I learned the magic of the 12 steps. And, you know, thanks to higher power, I've been clean. So um, let's see, what else? Um, yeah, I started hanging around with weirdos again. And I started, how do I, what's, I'm trying to make linear sense of this because it's all so strange. Um, I found a bunch of people who enjoyed throwing really weird parties where people could connect at a level. Oh, well, part of the thing with me being clean is that I couldn't rely on alcohol or psychedelic drugs to help me connect with other people, as many folks around me were. I needed games, and I needed exercises, and I needed structures and containers to create deep experiences with others. So I began throwing parties that created these structured experiences. I think I called them genius gatherings back then. And also at the same time, I was getting my PhD at the University of Pittsburgh in critical and cultural studies, where I was mm, very popular with my students and very unpopular with the faculty because I believe that poetry and art is all about the cultivation of magic and the soul and not really so much about analyzing patterns of iambic pentameter, although that's cool too. But anyways, doing all this stuff, and we started doing large-scale rituals, like large-scale uh, summer solstice celebrations. There's this plateau in Pittsburgh, my hometown, which overlooks the city, and it's sort of like land of the lost up there. So we would go up there and have these giant kind of Burning Man-style, unpermitted, highly illegal costume parties with a fairy theme. So we would have... It was sort of a Midsummer's Night's Dream theme, and we would have the good fairy camp at the dark fairy camp. And at the time, I was really in denial about my shadow, <clears throat> and I always wanted to be queen of the good fairies, so that's what I was. And, um, excuse me, I have to cough a little bit. <clears throat> um, we would do these large-scale rituals, and something that really turned me on to magic was I noticed... And I mean, I could go on and on about the exact details of what the ritual was and how we structured it, but it was basically a ritual battle between good and evil. And um, I was shocked. So this was the first ritual was in the summer of 2011. And I was shocked because when the Occupy movement started and <clears throat> I went down to the Occupy Pittsburgh camp because hello world, I'm an anarchist. Uh, so I went down to see my fellow anarchists at the protest. Mm. And I was absolutely stunned that everybody there at the Occupy camp, they were all people who had been at the summer solstice ritual. And they all called me the fairy queen because that's how they knew me. And I... You know, there's no way that I can prove this and it's not cause and effect and you could come up with any, you know, kind of explanation for it that you want. But in my heart, what struck into the core of my heart was that the magic we had done at the summer solstice had helped create unity amongst this group of people and it helped make at least this particular branch of the protest possible and that it was important that relationships were happening, that conversations were happening that were important, and that magic that I had orchestrated and had theatrically performed was part of what made that happen. So that kind of radicalized me, magically speaking. Mm. That's so interesting. And so I'm wondering for someone who is interested in magic, but really has no experience of it and didn't grow up in it the way that you did, are there any practices or texts that you direct them to, to kind of start that journey or start dipping their toes in the waters? Uh, yes, absolutely. Wonderful question. So I, I will give you the name of of books. Um, well, first of all, there's my book, which is called Awaken Your Genius, which I think, which I wrote specifically for people who are just beginning to wake up, just beginning to get interested in magic and want an introduction. And my book, Awaken Your Genius, is available on Kindle for about nine bucks. And it has reading lists in there uh, for other resources that you can check out. 
and it has it provides a <clears throat> a seven step hero's journey path to getting in touch with your genius, which is your guiding spirit, which is your <clears throat> creativity, which is what can lead you on your own magical journey of discovery and synchronicity. So there's that. There's um, a fantastic book called Intro to Tantra, Introduction to Tantra by Lama Yeshe. So Lama Yeshe was a Tibetan Lama. And um, this is a little bit funny. So a lot of times when I'm, I say that I'm a witch, people think that I'm a Wiccan. And I am not, alas, a Wiccan. I actually have, um, as I mentioned earlier, I have Bodhisattva vows. I'm technically a Buddhist. So Tantra is the magical side of Buddhism. And Lama Yeshe just gives the most beautiful, most compassionate, most stirring and funny explanation of how that deep magic of liberation works. So I highly, highly, highly recommend Introduction to Tantra by Lama Yeshe. And I also have a course. Um, so I'm teaching it right now. It's called Influence, and it's a 12-week course on practical magic where we have a Facebook group and we have bi-weekly course meetings and we have lots and lots of assignments, good assign, like highly worthwhile assignments to do. Like people are telling me that their lives are being dramatically changed and that their synchronicities, their positive synchronicities are dramatically rapidly increasing. And we've only been at it for four weeks. So my next iteration of that class will open for registration in the middle of January. And if people want to find out about that class, they can go to my website, Bad Witches, which is a magazine that I co-edit with my friend Laura Jire and with the help of my assistant, Lena Bolt. And Bad Witches is also a fabulous resource. It's an amazing magazine that's basically, we call it magic for smart people. So it's filled with cutting edge thought about magic and a lot of non-Wiccan, non-New Age magic. So hoodoo, uh, traditional witchcraft, tantra, those are things that we like to talk about on Bad Witches. Anyways, so you can go to the Bad Witches site and sign up for the mailing list. And when you do that, then you will get announcements about the enrollment period for influence. So uh, there's so many other cool, cool books that I can mention. Let's see. Um, oh, I know. Advanced Magic for Beginners by Alan Chapman is a hugely wonderful book. It is hugely, magnificently wonderful. Please, please read it. I beg you to. Also, if anybody out there listening, I think Alan Chapman is from England, and I've been trying to get in contact with him because I have a genius idea that I want to share with him, and he does not exist online anymore. Like, he shut down his Twitter. He shut down his website. I have no idea what he's doing. Maybe he's in some secret magical retreat. But if anybody out there in listener land knows how to get me in touch with the genius magician Alan Chapman, please, please do so. <laughs> Amazing. And I will be share, sure to uh, share all of those links in the show notes for anyone who wants to, to check them out. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you have a PhD in English literature and you spent some time teaching poetry in Pittsburgh. What led to your current work as a coach? Oh, awesome. Yeah, so basically they got really sick of me at the University of Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't, like I refused to grade my students. I automatically gave everybody A's because I couldn't see the point of grading somebody on a poetry writing class. Like seemed beyond idiotic poetry reading actually that's what I technically taught was reading poetry um so everybody got an A and we basically had parties all the time because poetry is festivity poetry is celebration poetry is experience poetry is the art of making your soul and the things that we call poems those are just like the accidental artifacts that happen to occur in the process of living an awesome life so if somebody is living a fantastic life, they may throw off a few things called poems, or they may create some artwork, or they may, you know, create some businesses or whatever. Poetry, oh, like Walt Whitman said, 
um, we are poetry. Anyways, so obviously you can see that I'm like the weird Robin Williams stand on top of a desk poetry teacher. And they didn't like that. So they... <laughs> and I didn't like them either, to be honest. I don't really gel with academia. I don't have an academic mind. I have a magical mind. So after I finished my thesis, which was, my thesis is called Poetic Inquiry, and I might publish it someday because it's all about poetry as a mode of thought and what does it mean to teach English, to teach poetry in a way that is holistic and because our society values science so much, which is objectifying because it's all about that subject-object dichotomy. So anyways, Poetic Inquiry Basically, in the process of teaching my students, I realized, you know, I'm much more of a life coach type person. I'm much more of a weirdo magical teacher than I am a English professor. So I spent like three years being really broke. Um, was it three years? Maybe it was two years. I lose track. But I, all I know is I lived in cou on couches of my friends and I got food from the food bank and I bootstrapped my business into existence and it was terrible and wonderful all at the same time and now I not only teach classes on practical magic by the way a, an existing heritage of my life as an English teacher is that I do teach a great class called Thrill which is um, it's a class on growing your online audience writing for the social web and getting paid and in that class, we talk about writing because writing is essential to online business in so, so many ways. So we talk about how to do it in a way that gets you attention, that gets you customers and clients and all that fun stuff. So I use my English teacher skills there. What an incredible journey. And I know that this is going to be a really big question. And I think I have this predilection for asking questions that are a bit too big, but answer it in whatever way feels good. What internal resistance did you have to overcome to make that leap and get to where you are today? Oh, hot tamales. What a question. Oh, so much. Oh, that's so, so wonderful. I love that question. Um, whoo. Oh my gosh. I just got these chills, these images of how hard it was for me because, you know, when I just described it now, I made it sound all like easy breezy, like, oh yeah, I just realized they didn't like me in academia and I didn't like them. And so then I was poor for a while and did this until now I'm here. Yay. But no, it was a lot more dramatic than that. Like I, it was, I was so upset that I wasn't, go I realized I wasn't going to be like a star English professor and I was never going to get hired and I was never going to get tenure. And it was a dicey proposition that they were even going to let me graduate. That was, so, I cried buckets of tears about that. And I was depressed and I would just, I mean, my mother could tell you, I would like call my mother. She was my, the original life coach. I mean, also my um, sponsor in my 12 step program just heard my endless whining and crying about it. So, um, I don't know exactly what to call that resistance. Oh, I do. Self-pity. I had immense self-pity. And that's one of the great things that I've learned today is that my self-pity um, is so pointless. So, <laughs> so I, I have a lot less of it today. I mean, I still get bouts of it. I'm not completely enlightened. Um, but I do it a lot less than I used to because I just realized it only slows me down. And, um, yeah, I guess I would say if you are in a similar situation right now when you're, that you're realizing for you out there in listener land, like you're realizing that something that you've been doing isn't working, that you are actually failed at it. Like I am technically a failed English professor. Um, believe me, you can just relax Take a deep breath, trust yourself, you will figure it out. You don't have to cry as many buckets of tears as I did. You can trust yourself. And also, just open up to the field of possibilities. Like, here's a hilarious, this is a bit of a dark, no, I don't know how dark it is. This is sort of a story that shows maybe what an ass I am. So Sarah, I was at a concert before I left Pittsburgh, and I was Deanne Tward. I love Deanne Tward. And I was at the concert. And I ran into a bunch of people who I knew from the English department who were uh, PhD students there at Pitt at the same time that I was. And um, 
you know, I didn't have the greatest relationship with those folks, mostly because I, they could tell I really wasn't cut out to be in their club. And I saw them and they asked me how I was. And I was basically deliriously happy because I was like, I'm awesome. I'm moving to Bali. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, oh, so business must be pretty good. And I had to like restrain myself from telling them that, you know, I was making 10 times as much money as them and da, 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 on and on. I was just like, yeah, it's great. And just was like, and how, and I was like, how's the English department? And they, you know, gave me these defeated, nauseated looks. And I knew that the English department was exactly as it always had been. It was exploiting their labor and it was disrespecting them. So, um, anyways, all of which is to say, I cried so much about, not being wanted by that English department. And it turned out to be really okay, better than okay. And so what did that in-between space look like, that going from the crying to, you know, what was it like to move through that? Oh, wonderful. Yes. So the process, so moving through that, going, um, it looked like getting tons of help and support from my dear good friends and my community. Um, My good friend, Fu, who is going to be, he's co-hosting the Super Connectors podcast with me that launches in January. Um, He would just like pick me up on like cold winter days in Pittsburgh when I was living on my other friend's couch. He would pick me up and drive me around town and we would look at the Christmas lights and He would tell me that I was awesome and I was going to make it and pull through and I would be like, yeah, right. I'm totally not. And he would be like, no, you are. (laughs) So, I mean, I relied so, so much on other people and community to help me. Um, And, you know, just like deliberately making the choice. I mean, I am a total getting things done nerd. Do you know what that is? David Allen getting things done? No. Oh, if you dig self-development, you would probably dig getting things done. It's a productivity system, um, and it's it's always really, really worked for me. So I, you know, in it, you make lists. You make, like, um, he calls it mind sweeps. So you sweep your mind for everything that's on your mind, everything from, like, oh, I need to buy... <clears throat> you know, laundry detergent to I need to redesign my website. It all goes on one list. And then you do a process of going through that list and breaking down every one of your projects into tiny, concrete action steps where you basically are giving pure instructions to your brain as if you're a total idiot telling you how to do the next thing on your list. So, like, if I have a project, if one of my projects is... Um, get my website redesigned, then the very first little tiny next action that I write down would be open computer, bring up Google, Google Pittsburgh web design. (laughs) And you write that out on a card. And I have to do that because I'm so, um, you know, I get overwhelmed so easily. So that technique of breaking projects down into really hyper-specific next actions um, has been a giant part of what I've done and what's kept me going. And I also invested money that I didn't really have in coaching and classes and, you know, means of improving myself. So I get a little bit hesitant when I share that with people because I I also have known people who get themselves way, 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 way into debt with mm-hmm. like kind of shystery gurus that I wouldn't recommend. Um, but at the same time, there's a fine line because truly, like, I needed business education. Like, all I knew how to do was uh, <laughs> was write and read poetry, and I didn't know how to do any marketing. I didn't know how to do sales. The very thought of selling something made me like physically ill. I was so freaked out by it. So I needed people who could mentor me and who could show me the attitudes and the techniques and the strategies that, you know, would make that possible. And I paid a lot of money for that. And part of the reason why I like to offer influence and thrill my, the courses that I teach on magic and on online business and writing 
at what I consider to be pretty accessible price points is because I really want tons of people to have this information and I don't want it to be as hard for them to figure it out (laughs) as it was for me. Yeah. Um, So something that you touched on a little bit, and I know you wrote about it in a recent article, and I'm paraphrasing, but you talked about in in your article that most of the personal development community kind of treats shadow work as something you can, you know, complete on a rainy Sunday afternoon and then tick (laughs) off your bucket list. And in reality, it's this long, radical process of integration that's going to crack you open and change you forever. Um, And I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit. Like, what is your experience of shadow work and what that actually looks like in practice? Whoa, mama. Oh, boy. This is another great one. So, yeah. So my my experience of what shadow work looks like in practice. So when I said I do a lot of intensive meditations, that's what I meant. I do tons of shadow um, integration work all of the time. So the specific practices that I use include... The work of Byron Katie, which you can learn how to do quickly and easily. You just go to her website, uh, www.thework.com, and she also has an amazing, oh, talk about fantastical, magical books, the audio recording of Byron Katie's book, A Thousand Names for Joy, which is her interpretation of the Tao Te Ching, is one of the most magical books ever. Byron Katie is like the greatest witch alive, according to me. Um, (laughs) I'm sure there's other great witches alive, but she's the most prolifically publishing one. Um, I do that, and I do a number of other practices that it it would take me a bit too long to explain right now, but which I would be, you know, they're, I teach them in my courses, and they're very intense, and they're very effective. Um, And basically what I find is that, yeah, exactly, that is my giant frustration with most self-development, new-agey type stuff, is that it really underplays the amount of absolutely changing your concept of yourself that goes into um, manifesting different results. So, for example, the, the thing that I'd like to talk about these days is um, I used to have a, I like to call it a havingness level. I had a havingness level for $1,500 a month, and that was it. And that was what my salary was when I was at the University of Pittsburgh, and even after I left them, that was still just about what I would pull in every month with my random freelance writing work stuff that I would do. And I couldn't seem to make more than that, no matter what I tried. And I realized, oh, You know, this is a magical problem. This is like a pattern in my soul that is being repeated in the outer world. So I became willing to do the shadow work um, to change that. And now my having this level for money is much greater. It's anywhere between $5,000 and $10,000 a month. And obviously, I created a business that supports that money coming in. Like, it doesn't drop on me from heaven. Um, But it kind of does. I mean, there kind of is a magical component to it where before for the life of me, I couldn't even allow myself to figure out the proper business procedures and that would allow me to have this. And once I did the shadow work, it was relatively easy for me to figure out the moves to make that would allow me to have this. Um, So the shadow work that I did for that involved realizing how much of my identity and in the book, Introduction to Tantra, Lama Yeshe talks about this. He says we all have a self-pity identity, and that's what our ego is. Our ego is not our personality. Our ego is not our individuality. It's the basically this like barnacle of self-pity that we carry around in us. And my self-pity identity was very attached to being poor. My parents never had much money. We were on welfare at various points. I mean, my dad was a crazy occultist, you know, like... Uh, we, so I had that ingrained in me and I felt, how do I say, um, I had to realize that there was a part of me that as much as my conscious mind said, oh, I hate being poor. I hate having to wait in line on a freezing day at the food bank. It's humiliating. I hate not having health insurance. It's humiliating. I hate, um, you know, having to sleep on my friend's couches. It's humiliating. 
And yeah, it kind of all was humiliating. But what I had to realize, what the shadow work was there, was to realize that there was a part of me that loved being poor, that loved it so much because I didn't have to um, deal with upsetting anybody who might be jealous or envious by my success. I didn't have to make decisions about where to live. Like I might, you know, if I had money, I might be able to move away from Pittsburgh. I don't want to be faced with that decision. Um, It might make me feel disconnected from my family. It might... You know, there were all of these reasons that, and oh, also being poor gave me this like amazing soap opera drama of like, like the excruciating humiliation. Like a part of me loved that, loved the drama of that. It was so good. And when I realized it, like when, and the way that I realized it is I allowed myself to get on the same side as the part of myself who loved that. And for about a solid three months, I still worked on my business and I still did things. I like, I didn't stop all practical work, but what I did do was I stopped wishing that I had money. And instead I celebrated my poverty because I enjoyed it so much. I realized there were things about it that were absolutely wonderful. I so enjoyed the humiliation. I absolutely loved the freedom from certain kinds of decisions that it gave me. I loved the connection to my family and friends that it let me have. And I just enjoyed the hell out of it for like three months. And then um, it started to radically shift. It went away. I started to... <laughs> um, learn how to do things and start doing things that brought my income much higher. Does that make sense, Sarah? Absolutely. And it's so radical. And I think that's what really drew me into your work. And I guess what I'd like, if you could elaborate on a bit further is what did that celebrating look like? Like, was it the thoughts that you're thinking, things that you're writing in your journal? Were you literally like dancing in your kitchen with your poverty? What was it? Oh, yeah. Oh, everything. So like all of that. Also, like physically in my body, like, so I would get into a situation where I would feel humiliated, like a situation where like, oh, I have these bills. I don't know how I'm going to pay them. And Like usually that feeling would just be like, so miserable and so like uh like dread and hatred of the world and hatred of myself and why the hell did I make the decision to major in English why couldn't I have majored in marketing like a normal person you know and like these like, horrible hateful miserable things and I would and instead I would feel that coming up and I'd be like oh this is my miserable self-hate. I love my miserable self-hate. It's so precious to me. And I would just get like really excited and feel it and be like, just, just enjoy having it because I wanted it and it was there. So in, so feeling the sensations in my body, actually laying, like usually I would like lay down in a quiet room (laughs) on a quiet couch (laughs) and, um, you know, just feel those sensations. I would do a lot of the Byron Katie stuff. I would, um, let's see, what are some other forms of celebrating my poverty that I engaged in? Um, I would just sort of like marvel at my life and at exactly what I had, like, And people call that gratitude, which I guess is an okay word for it. I use that word sometimes. But the problem that I have with the word gratitude is that it's kind of limp. Like, it sounds like it's sort of like an Oprah. Like, I love Oprah, too. But it's sort of just like a, uh, oh, yeah, gratitude, la-di-da, whatever. No. Like, in my experience, real gratitude is the last thing I ever want to feel because it is so excruciatingly humbling to my ego. I mean, it is a thousand times more humbling than not having money. It's, it kills me. It kills the part of me that is attached to suffering. So, allowing myself to feel whatever that bizarre, excruciating, ego-deleting emotion is that people sometimes refer to as gratitude. (laughs) (laughs) Getting okay with feeling that. 
And it's a very tender feeling in my experience. It's like a super tender, super wide open, blown open, kind of painful feeling, honestly. Uh, and just getting okay with allowing that feeling to be present in my body and allowing that feeling um, to extend to everything around me. So, you know, to feel that tender, excruciating, open feeling towards my shabby clothes and my half-broken computer and my stack of bills and, you know, just letting it, and it's so, I don't even, it's, um, so this is like, we spend weeks and weeks on this in my magic course because it, it's hard to get. And I actually, I call this existential kink because it's getting off on things in our existence that our conscious mind truly does not like. <laughs> and, um, which is kinky. So this work of existential kink if you're not understanding it as I'm explaining it right now, don't worry about it. It's It takes a long time to understand and to put into practice. But that's what I do. So I think that there's, you know, there's this kind of this new American dream, and maybe it's the digital nomad dream of Tim Ferriss and the four-hour week, work week and all of this stuff um, with, you know, the mini vac- or the extended vacations. And it seems like in a way, I don't know, you or your life that well but in a way you're living that dream but you also write about how it's kind of boring and baseline thing to desire and I I like I like that because it shook me up a little bit and it's like oh all right so what I'm really curious about are and maybe this is quite a personal question but what are your desires Mm, totally so I totally want to answer that question and also I want to say Yeah, I mean, I joke about how cliche is it that, like, I live in Bali and I'm a digital nomad. And I also don't want to, like, totally, I mean, it's not the end-all and be-all of everything, but also for those of you listening out there, like, yes, it is as awesome as you are imagining, and yes, you totally (laughs) should go for it, because it's freaking great, Sarah. I'm not going to lie. It's awesome. (laughs) It is awesome. There's nothing about it I don't like. I get to scooter around this beautiful tropical island that looks like God created it while high on mushrooms and in a really good mood. It's like this fantasia. And there's beautiful... Anyways, I could go on and on about Bali. But definitely become a digital nomad and spend time in places like Bali. Like, yes, shoot for that. I did. It was great. Um, But yeah, it's not the end-all, be-all of everything, right? So now that I'm here... um, What I want, what I desire, I desire the total liberation of, from suffering of myself and all beings. And to me, what that means is I desire that we be totally liberated from shame, that we be totally liberated from alienation from one another, that we be completely liberated from unconscious patterns of attachment and aversion, which is, um which is what basically what addiction is. So, you know, I mentioned I have this background as a heroin addict and that some of the most potent magic I ever learned is 12-step magic. And and that fits right in with my Buddhist stuff and the Buddhist tantra is all about um, using the energy of eros, of desire, which is this erotic energy, this orgasmic energy in our bodies using that energy and rather letting that energy be trapped in obsession or in fear or avoidance, taking the strength of that energy and using it to move us towards freedom. Uh, So that's my big desire. That's my like huge desire is I want everybody to be free. Um, Some more modest desires (laughs) or to like anchor that desire into physical reality Um, some dreams I have include, um, I want to run a, (laughs) oh my gosh, I haven't said these, I have not said these things out loud to anybody but my best friends and I'm, they're going to sound completely crazy. Let me think how completely crazy am I willing to sound? Um, hmm, hmm, I'll just say. I desire to create 
various organizations that support people in this work of liberation. So one of the organizations that I am working on creating is a society of mutual support where people, so this is sort of like, you know, people call it a mastermind. I'm not the biggest Napoleon Hill fan. I don't know if I want to use the word mastermind, but I mean, Napoleon Hill is cool and everything. I'm just like, whatever. There's a lot of people who wrote more interestingly about what he had to say. But um, so I want to have a mastermind group. See there, I can't get away from that word. I want to create that. I want to create a resource where people can be connected and where they can, um, where we will play a game, a game of opening opportunities to each other. So that's the secret society dimension of this thing that I'm planning on creating that I hardly even have a name for yet. So far in my mind, I call it like the super connector secret society because I want to bring together, you know, I have this podcast that we're working on creating called super connectors. I love connection because it's the opposite of alienation, which means that it's the opposite of addiction. So I want to bring together people who are awesome at connecting, who are leaders basically. And I want us to open doors from one another in a specific game-like format that I've designed. So that's something that I want. Um, I want to, I mean, pretty much, if we want to be completely honest, Sarah, like uh, I'm working on creating a media dynasty, like not unlike Oprah or something. So I want to create a media dynasty. Um, what do I want? Uh, I want, have you ever seen Mr. Robot? No. Oh, I highly, highly recommend that to you, Sarah, especially if you like punk rock, because it's super punk rock. Um, I want what Mr. Robot wants. I want global jubilee. I want an elimination of all debt. Um, I want, oh boy, I mean, I want to see a complete change in the way our world operates and the means by which that will happen i'm not sure what those are but like i said i am an anarchist and while i have a business and i'm obviously a capitalist in that sense um i am not a corporatist so while i can't avoid corporations and i i work with them in some capacities sometimes the way in which corporations have taken over our world is not okay with me. So I'm exploring and actively seeking out <clears throat> ways of drastically changing the way that our economy works. So I'm interested in things like Bitcoin, which is a decentralized currency. Um, I mean, I could go on and on for a long time about currencies. That's another thing that I mentioned in my article, which is that a lot of new agey self-help people will be like, oh, money is just energy. It's cool. You can make money. It doesn't hurt anybody. And it's like, I understand that, yeah, those people are trying to encourage folks to go out and start businesses and not feel like they're, you know, hurting people by doing sales. Um... But to me, it's important to understand that the way that money is currently structured in our world is not neutral. It's not okay. It's deeply, deeply systematically messed up. And I live in the painful paradox of how messed up that is because I want to have money. I want to have a business. I want to enjoy money. But at the same time, I'm not under illusions that it's um, a uncomplicated, politically neutral thing. It absolutely is not. Um, so there's that. And I forgot what I was saying, but yes. <laughs> oh, thank you for, you know, for sharing that with us. And I think it's a, I don't know, almost like a, a challenge or a dare for us to dream and desire bigger and deeper. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, please. So... You've alluded to a couple, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about what projects you're working on these days. And also for those who feel drawn to, how can people work with you and support your work? Fantastic question. So, wait, what was the first part of the question? The projects that you're working on. Oh, the projects that I'm working on. So the projects that I'm working on, um, 
mostly Thrill and Influence and the Super Connectors podcast. I'm also trying to write a novel for NaNoWriMo right now because I may be entirely crazy. <laughs> um, so that's what I'm doing. And um, if people want to work with me, the best thing to do would be to get on both of my email lists. So I have a separate email list um, on my own website, carolyngraceelliot.com. That's sort of my business writing teaching email list. So if you get on that one, you will get the updates about uh, my thrill course as it evolves and as I teach it. Um, the other mailing list is on bad witches. So if you join the bad witches mailing list, you will also get the updates about the weird witchy magic stuff I do, including the opening of my next uh influence class. I do work with a select amount of people one-on-one, but that's rather pricey to work with me one-on-one because I like to devote most of my energy to teaching large groups of people. But if you just are absolutely called, you think that we could do fantastic work together, I am in fact a world-class coach, so you can contact me. We can see if that would fit. Um, And I am working on creating this secret society mastermind type thing, which also involvement in that will be pricey as well because, well, it's going to entail a lot and it's a big commitment. It's a big investment. So if you're interested in talking to me about the secret society, you can also email me at carolyngraceelliot at gmail.com. Amazing. And so the one thing that I ask everyone, um, and it could be absolutely anything, is what's one thing you're obsessed with these days that's making your life better? I enjoyed that question so, so much. Okay, I'm going to have to think. I'm going to have to get a little bit, hmm. Hmm. Something that I am obsessed with. So I have, real quick, Three answers. Number one, scootering. I was always afraid to ride a scooter, and I'm doing it in Bali, and it's so much fun. So if you can get your hands on a scooter, I highly recommend that. Uh, Number two, I'm pretty darn obsessed with supplements these days in terms of, like I mentioned earlier, the maca, the ginseng, the any kind of supplement, or I guess they call it nootropics like things that can help me function better as an entrepreneur and as a writer, I get really into that. And oh, I'm really into ginger right now. So I'm obsessed with drinking and I have a cold, so it's great. They have um, drinking, I make this tea with like a teaspoonful of powdered turmeric, a bunch of finely chopped ginger and like the juice of a lime and some honey and stir that up and it's like the greatest thing ever. Like turmeric is super anti-inflammatory, super antioxidants. It's wonderful. Um, And there's another thing that I'm obsessed with. Oh, the other thing that I'm obsessed with is Mr. Robot and Christian Slater, specifically in Mr. Robot. (laughs) That makes my life so much better. Also, of course, Benedict Cumberbatch. Like many other people, I'm obsessed with Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) Okay, amazing. All really cool things that we can all try out. So as we wrap up, where can we find you online? Sure. So you can find me on Bad Witches, badwitch.es, and you can find me on carolyngraceelliot.com. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. Cool. I'll share all of those notes in the show notes, of course. Thank you, Carolyn. This has been so much fun. Oh, likewise, Sarah. Thank you. Isn't she amazing? I'm currently reading Carolyn's book and it's so beautifully written. She takes you on your own heroine's journey so that you can tap into your creativity and start living more magically. I highly recommend it. You can find the show notes for this episode at sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 17. So I wanted to create a space where we can open up these conversations that we're having on the podcast. So I've created a Facebook group called Girl Gang HQ. I'm thinking of it as a virtual slumber party for babes who approach personal development with a wild and authentic heart. 
Maybe you collect crystals but aren't sure about their energetic powers or get squeamish around the word God but consider yourself spiritual. This is a space to have open and supportive conversations, to explore our beliefs, to share the practices and experiments we're implementing with people who get it, and to ask for support and advice with the issues we're just not sure other people will understand. You can find it by searching Girl Gang HQ on Facebook or clicking the link in the show notes and I'll approve your request ASAP. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. You can write anything you want in the review section, so why not let me know what you're obsessed with right now or who you'd like me to interview next? This support will really help me to make exciting things happen with this podcast, and I'd appreciate it so much. Next week, I'm interviewing Michelle Bobrow from The Holistic Wallet. Michelle is a personal finance strategist, and she helps the creatively inclined tap into their left brains and set financial foundations they can stand up and shout from. We're going to talk about what finance even has to do with personal development, how to get over your limiting beliefs about money, and where to start with when getting your financial house in order, and so much more. Until then, do something to get your shit together and create a life you love.